entering the Freedom Hut. The leaky Ukraine probe, controversy over the use of the word lynching, students arrested for racist speech, libs think God is on their side in a Syria update jam-packed show coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. The president's frustrated. I mean, if you had to go through the three years that this uh, that the president's had to live through, I think I think that just is an example of the frustration the president feels. Remember, this all started even before he got elected. This this started on July 31st, 2016, when Jim Comey opened the investigation and put the country through three years of this false accusation that somehow the president worked with Russia to impact the election. So uh, going through that and now this ridiculous charade that the Democrats are putting him through, you can understand why the president's frustrated. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Jim Jordan laying it out there. If I were President Trump, man, I would be frustrated, too. There has to be some understanding. People have to understand at some level that what we are seeing is hypocrisy in action all the time here. Double standards galore. For one, any investigation that Democrats want to do, any usage of the law, in fact, even changing the laws we have seen in the state of California, in the state of New York, anything that they can do that harasses, attacks, or undermines Trump, no matter what that means for the process, for rule of law, for fairness, for basic decency, that is somehow acceptable. You will notice that the media has not has not yet at any point decided that perhaps this is too partisan. Perhaps it's too much. Yes, we had a special counsel. And yes, we've run endless stories about a fairy tale, a fable that the president worked with Russia to steal the election from Hillary Clinton. Was there any any introspection after that? Any sense of of uh, I'm sorry from the journos who pushed that for no of course not they just moved on to now oh Ukraine gate the Ukraine situation the same playbook as we saw with Russia some coordination with government officials behind the scenes who hate Donald Trump many of whom work for the federal government do not forget that over 90 percent of donations from federal government employees in the last election cycle went for Hillary Clinton, effectively telling you that at least for those who are politically involved in the federal government, their politics align with what you would expect from the faculty lounge of Wesleyan University. That's what the federal government is full of right now. There's not a lot of put the military aside. I'm talking about federal civil servants, bureaucrats. They love the Democratic Party, and they even are okay with some establishment Republican types of the Mitt Romney school, or dare I say, Pierre Delecto, Monsieur Pierre Delecto, creeping around, lurking around the uh, corners of the internet with Mitt Romney behind the scenes. Uh, We know that there are many people in the Democratic establishment who will do anything to take down Trump. We know there are people in the Republican establishment who are willing to make common cause with those uh, Democrats to take down Trump. We have to remember that as we see now this this continued farce of an impeachment inquiry where they still haven't even identified what what the crime is. Now it's what going to be an abuse of power. This whole focus, this fascination 
fixation really on a quid pro quo that we've already established that doesn't mean necessarily a quid pro quo is not a problem in foreign policy. In fact, it's the way that foreign policy gets done. Oh, but now they're going to tell us that there, if there's a personal political benefit for the president, even if the quid pro quo would be otherwise acceptable, then it's not acceptable because the Democrat interpretation is the president's not allowed to do things that would benefit his reelection that use foreign policy. That's not a standard that could be applied. That's not a standard that they could keep for future presidents. Ah, but it's a Trump specific standard. Just like, as I mentioned, in California, they tried to change what, it re- what the requirement for candidates to get on the ballot. You must release your tax returns. Oh, yeah. A Trump specific law. They won't even give the due process protections through the impeachment process, which is a political maneuver. It is not a criminal legal procedure, which is why Democrats are getting away to this point with so much abuse of the whole process. Uh, they won't even give Trump the same degree of, of fairness. Protection isn't even really the right word of fairness uh, that they had back in the Nixon or Clinton impeachments because there are Trump specific rules. They will destroy all the old rules in order to make up new ones so that they can get after this president. And that then brings me to the testimony yesterday of William Taylor, the top diplomat in Ukraine. Uh, this was yet another day. When I saw as soon as the leaks about his testimony came out and there was even a leak of his opening statement. Oh, you, you mean that this person who's only allowed to testify behind closed doors and was able to go on, I think, for 10 hours I saw yesterday it was just marathon testimony behind closed doors. His opening statement crafted to create the perception of maximum gravitas for him and maximum damage to president trump i read the whole opening statement but that got that got released that got leaked out to the press we knew that would happen but what about the question and answer what about the only opportunity that republicans could have to point out that there are some real problems in the opening statement i mean for example this guy taylor was in many ways out of the loop on key ukraine policy discussions Uh, He was angry, a little bit bitter, and bureaucrats, especially diplomats, get very territorial over what they consider to be their portfolio, their uh, area of bureaucratic operations, Uh, and was angry at Trump on policy level. So we know he doesn't like Trump. He feels like he wasn't given his due in this job. And people will say, wow, he's been a diplomat. He's been a, a United States ambassador for so many years, so many decades. The State Department is full of people who have far too high a sense of uh, self-regard and really believe that presidents come and go, but the State Department is forever full of people like that. Doesn't mean everybody there, but that's a very common. That's a very common sentiment you'll find among those at Foggy Bottom. Uh, There's a, a particular arrogance at the State Department that really exceeds anything I've seen or come in. And this is from personal experience uh, with the State Department and its, and its folks arrogance that exceeds anything I've seen elsewhere in the federal bureaucracy. The State Department really thinks it's awesome and fancy and its people there really are doing important stuff. Most of them are completely extraneous and unnecessary. A majority of them, I would say. You could get rid of more than half the State Department. It wouldn't matter one bit. Don't even get me started on how much of the intelligence community you could get rid of, but that's a, a conversation for another day. So we had William Taylor doing this testimony and because he believed that there was a an illicit 
attempt to force the opening of an investigation in Ukraine by withholding the aid. That was then translated by the journalists who got the exact leaks that Adam Schiff wanted them to. That was then translated into, oh, my gosh, Trump must be finished now. Oh, impeachment, impeachment. We see all these new polls. Majority of the American people support impeachment and removal, they tell us. There are some Republicans who will be turncoats against Trump because of this. Even Lindsey Graham said that if something came out that was damning enough, he would consider voting to remove the president as a United States senator. Uh, But then when you look more closely at this, you find that, wait a second, William Taylor is just sharing his opinion, an opinion that, for example, Ambassador Sondland uh, disagrees with. And there is textual evidence that shows that Sondland says, look, there's no quid pro quo here. And Trump wants to be very clear about that. Now, there's a back and forth over what the quid pro quo would be for. But when you look at what really happened here, there's another problem that Democrats can't seem to get around, won't be able to get around. The aid wasn't withheld. Nor was there an investigation open because of the withholding of aid, because the Ukrainians didn't even know that aid was being considered to be withheld, or there was a consideration of withholding it. So where's the crime? Even where's the political crime? Ukraine got its money. Oh, and by the way, President Trump is the one who approved giving Javelin anti-tank missiles to the Ukrainian resistance, as well as uh, long-range sniper rifles, which the Obama administration explicitly refused to do. As Obama's NSC director for Ukraine told me personally when we were debating this issue not long ago, because Obama didn't want to seem too aggressive against Putin. Oh, but Trump is Putin's puppet. Trump is the Trump is the is the commander in chief who comes in and says, let's give lethal aid that the Europeans won't do, that Obama wouldn't do. Let's give that lethal aid to the Ukrainians to fight back against this Russian invasion of the Donbass region in the east. Oh, but he's Putin's puppet. He's doing Russia's bidding. Trump is the commander in chief while uh, on his watch, 200 Russian paramilitaries are blown up in the Syrian desert for going after our Kurdish allies. But I suppose that was also on Putin's orders. This is fantasy stuff. This is ridiculous. But if you have been propagandized to enough with all these anti-Trump hysterics around the Russia collusion issue, you'll believe anything that the press says at this point. With each passing day now, we have another, oh, another revelation. Laura Cooper, for example, is a senior Defense Department official who dealt with Russia, Ukraine, and Eurasia. She is being deposed today by lawmakers. Who wants to bet that there'll be a couple of bombshell revelations from Laura Cooper? Bombshell. Oh, Trump cannot recover from this. Trump is finished, I tell you. But he won't be. The histrionics and the hysteria from Democrats around Ukraine gate is all manufactured. It's obvious to anyone who has been paying attention to what really is happening here. Democrats can't handle the prospect of four more years of Trump. And they must know that if there's going to be an election with the field that they have put forward against this president, and when enough Americans can hear from this president about what's really been done for them, what the government has been up to the last few years, it's not looking good for team left wing. That much is for sure. Yeah, there'll be be leaks today. We'll hear more about this. We'll hear more opinions from career bureaucrats who I guarantee you, 
If you could look it up, you'd find out they voted for Hillary Clinton over Trump. Every single one of them. You will not have a single Trump supporter from the State Department who comes forward and says, yeah, I think that Trump violated his oath of office and the Constitution in order to change Ukraine policy. And, and we're, we're told that that's, gonna, that's a coincidence, that that's just happenstance. This is partisan warfare playing out through a shoddy process stacked against the president, lacking in transparency, lacking in honesty, run by Adam Schiff, no less, for the power-mad establishment political class. That's what we're dealing with. Obviously, what he said in the in the press conference was of real concern uh, because he said, in effect, that they were holding up uh, funding going to Ukraine in part based upon a desire to have Ukraine carry out an investigation with regards to the 2016 election. Why is that a problem? Someone tell me this. Why is that an issue? That's a completely legitimate line of inquiry for our government. And yet we, we never we never hear about this. We, we never hear the other the other component here. I mean, Mitt, first of all, what team is Mitt Romney playing for? Well, we know it's Team Pierre Delecto. Uh, he's playing for Team Mitt Romney. And I got to say, I'm I think that I'm a relatively savvy customer, a savvy cat when it comes to these different politicians, because I think they're all pretty much shady and you can't really trust them. And they're very full of themselves. But I didn't realize what a narcissist Mitt Romney was. He hit it really well with all that gee golly, aw shuck stuff back in the day. Uh, and now when his party and the ideology that he supposedly stands for of conservatism could, could really use a little, bit of, a little bit of help, he is just kicking them in the back as they, as they walk away all the time. Um, but the way that they've attacked this Mick Mulvaney press conference where he's trying to have a nuanced discussion about a very complicated issue, which is what what really does make foreign policy uh, tick? What makes it work? How do you do this? How do you negotiate? How do you interact with foreign counterparts to get them to do what you want them to do? And where do we draw the lines about what is acceptable and unacceptable in terms of how it may benefit those different actions that you take, how it may benefit a particular president of a, of a particular party? Uh, we haven't seen much of a much of an explanation of that, have we? An investigation of 2016 election interference that touches upon anything involving Ukraine is completely and utterly legitimate. And using leverage that the United States government uses all the time for different reasons of foreign policy, using leverage to that end is not a crime. It's not even a problem. You know, we had our friend Andy McCarthy on last week and he talked about this. Yeah, the way that Trump has gone about this is unorthodox and perhaps problematic but let's also remember that's one not enough for an impeachment and removal from office that's just crazy and two trump cannot trust the people within the process that have been handed over to him in the federal government in many cases as we have seen all these leaks look at this deep state effort from within the intelligence community once again after the Russia collusion lie, and that failed, now you have another effort from within the intelligence community to try to take him down based on this Ukraine phone call. Someone who secondhand heard something about something involving a, a conversation between the president and his Ukrainian counterpart, Zelensky. Of course, the president doesn't trust these people. Of course, he has concerns about whether or not they're going to go against his foreign policy, go against his decision making. 
Remember, he was sent there to break much of the status quo. He was sent there to say, I'm not going to do it the way we're all supposed to do it anymore. And in foreign policy in particular, there's really no more ossified, no more uh, structurally locked in ice or in stone. I guess ice melts, so stone will be better. Part of U.S. Foreign, of US government policy than foreign policy. You look at what's going on the last 20 years, it's been, yeah, there's some new, there's some differences here and there. Obama liked to go and bow. He liked the, the bad countries that aren't our friends and tried to explain to, you know, the Cubans why it's our fault that Cuba is a prison island stuck with cars from the 1950s and, you know, why Venezuela now doesn't even have potable drinking water for people. You know, it's probably America's fault. You know, the Obama administration took a very different approach in that regard. But in terms of wars and interventions and, You've had a very bipartisan foreign policy now. It's just a question of which country we invade or which country we take military action in. But trying to reduce that, I see now we'll we'll get more into the latest out of out of Syria. Uh, But Democrats who I can recall seeing on TV claiming that America is becoming an empire and America's far too involved in its military commitments in active war zones. That's different from just setting up a base somewhere in active war zones around the world. Now, all of a sudden, when Trump is trying to do what they have said they wanted him to do for a very long time, he's basically Hitler. And if you're Beto, you say, okay, well, if he's not Hitler, then explain to me, like, why he's as bad as Hitler. Yeah, riddle me that, Beto says. That's where we are. The gall of Donald Trump to refer to a process that is holding him accountable to our democracy and justice. Um, The gall to to suggest that he is experiencing a lynching when, and he's doing it just to whitewash um, the the fact that he has actually committed crimes and should be held accountable by by the United States Congress and, and by the people of our country. Yet again, it is an example of Donald Trump having no appreciation for the history of this nation for which he is now the commander in chief. Oh, my gosh. Donald Trump. So, so awful that he would use the term lynching. It's it's let's have a whole news cycle just on this. Let's spend an entire day. Now, I said to you yesterday, you know, he's got to know that this is going to inflame the Democrats, the left. They're all going to freak out. And the rest of his message, which is that he's being treated unfairly in this, which he clearly is. I mean, no serious person can argue otherwise. This this impeachment inquiry in secret, it's like an inquisition. There's no right to challenge these witnesses. There's, you know, it's all just being run as a political charade, as a scam by the Democrats. But because he used the term lynching, they were going to just focus on that and everything else would become secondary in the conversation, at least for the day. In fact, even Senator Mitch McConnell, who, you know, look, he's been good on judges. Mitch McConnell, I call it as I see it. Sometimes he does good things. Sometimes he's a bit wimpy. Here's what he had to say about Trump's moment of uh, verbal, what would we say, verbal in, in, infelicity, uh, verbal problem, whatever. Play uh, 19 here. Producer Mark, play clip 19, please. The president has said that you told him that his phone call with the Ukrainian president was perfect and innocent. 
do you believe that the president has handled uh, this Ukrainian situation? Uh, we've not had any conversations on that subject. So he was lying about that? <laughs> you have to ask him. I, I don't recall any conversations with the president about that. Um, hmm. So we actually jumped there to uh, Mitch McConnell talking about Ukraine gate, which that's fine. That's fine. Didn't we just play that or am I missing something? So why don't we play the one where actually he talks about the lynching thing, because that's what we're actually in the middle of discussing right now. Given the history in our country, I would not uh, compare this uh, to uh, a lynching. That was an unfortunate uh, choice of words. It is an unfair process, and a better way to characterize it would be to call it an unfair process. All right, there we go. Hey, just so you know, yeah, Mitch McConnell kind of dodged the whether Ukraine was a perfect phone call or not thing. So we got we worked that in there. That was a clip that we could have used in the early, earlier in the show. We also though have Mitch McConnell on the use of the word lynching, and uh, I saw the the outrage meter was at eleven yesterday because President Trump referred to the process against him as a lynching. Uh, now there are a couple of things that jumped to mind initially about this. One is we have Democrats who. And without apology and without any hesitation, we'll say that the president is a fascist, that he's a white supremacist, that he's a racist, that his supporters are white supremacists, that he supports Nazis, that Border Patrol under this president are acting like concentration camp prison guards. Uh, the, where do I where do I need to stop here? How, how much more of that do we have to hear before the calls from the left for greater caution in speech we need to be more civil to each other it all seems quite uh quite disingenuous doesn't it they don't really mean any of this they just say it because they're in a fight there is this lust for power that drives so much of the political discussion right now people pretend that it's about principles it's not about principles but there's a bigger problem here even for the democrats because we've been told how dare how do, oh, oh, wait, I'm sorry. Uh, here, if, here's a perfect example. Oh, oh, Miss Ocasio-Cortez, she's like totally has thoughts on this and she like wants to share them. Play 22, please. It's horrifying that he would do this, but also we have to understand that he is using our pain to his advantage as well. He, he chose that word deliberate. You know, like people think that he uses these words as mistakes. They're not. He deliberately chooses the most racially animating, divisive terms so that he can rile up that base because that's what he knows he can build power on. And the real question is, is if this is how he builds his power, what does that mean for the future of our country and for our safety? He relies on the outrage, which like we have to say something, right? We cannot allow this to be normalized. So he relies on that outrage and then he uses that outrage, takes it to the base and say, see, they don't like us. And if you don't like this, they're being too sensitive. We're gonna rally their support. And that's exactly how he operates in dividing this country. Oh, terrible, right? Awful. What Trump using this word, it's it's a dog whistle. It's racially divisive. It, it just shows you all the terribleness of Trump and how we should all just sit around and have a big pity party about how he's ruining the country and ruining the Constitution. Everything he does is awful. Everything he does is destroying our very our, our very core, our essence as human beings and as a country. Uh, and, and his use of this word should be repudiated across the land 
and he should apologize for this, and it's terrible, and oh, wait a second. Who else uses this word in politics? And about what? Oh, it turns out that Democrats, when Bill Clinton was being impeached, frequently, repeatedly, over and over again, used the term lynching. Oh, my gosh, what a shock. Play 21. That my votes are a protest against an unfair process. The inequities in the impeachment process have been glaring. What we are doing or what we are doing here is not a prosecution, it's a persecution. And indeed, it is a political lynching. So I will not vote for this nightmare before Christmas. I will not vote for this lynching in the people's house. I will vote against these resolutions. Even if the president should be impeached. History is going to question whether or not this was just a partisan lynching. This day feels to me like we're taking a step down the road to becoming a political lynch mob. And for those of you who say that this isn't about sex, I agree with you. This is about getting rid of the president of the United States. The whole idea is a lynch mob mentality that says this man has to go. Wait a second. Was that Joe Biden who, during the Clinton impeachment process, referred to a partisan lynching? Doesn't Joe Biden know the history of that word? Doesn't Joe Biden know the racial divisiveness, as along with all the other Democrats who were speaking there? All of them back in 1998, 1999 during the, uh, or 98, I guess, during the uh, Clinton impeachment. All of them. Well, was that horrible? Should Joe, should Joe Biden be forced to apologize? Oh, no, of course not. Because remember how we started off the show talking about double standards and that that's a, 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 a feature, not a bug of the Democrat apparatus now that they have to operate on double standards all the time because it's really just about power see a standard has to remain consistent over time and you have to adhere to it even when it is inconvenient for you for it to really be a standard for it to be a principle but democrats don't really have principles they just have feelings and rough guidelines and the usage of mob mentality to leverage guidelines that are constantly shifting and changing, to leverage rules that they make up as they go along in order to shut down and shout down their political opponents. Okay, well, that's not principled at all, is it? That's actually uh, that's actually quite opportunistic, which is really the opposite of being uh, principled on these matters. Uh, Joe Biden's not going to apologize for that, though. Because, you see, when he says that word, he's one of the good guys. This is what Democrats will tell you. Joe Biden's not going to be criticized for this because he's on he's on team. We're going to make this not a problem for you. He's not on team Republican, which means that you're going to get crushed. You're going to get ruined. So I, I give credit to those Republicans yesterday who were saying, no, sorry, we're not going to we're not going to bend the knee over Trump's use of the, of the term lynching. Because as soon as they started going through the archives and looking, Democrats say this all the time. Everybody knows what Trump is getting at. It's, it has nothing to do, his usage of the term has nothing to do with race. And as I said yesterday, and people get all uncomfortable with this, but there were lynch mobs that attacked people that were, it was not racist because they were lynch mobs against white individuals who were believed to have committed some crimes. So a lynch mob is not inherently a, it is it was often and horrifically, but not inherently a a racist body. Um, 
But all that got lost yesterday, right? Because what was what was most important yesterday? What was the single driving factor of the news cycle? What got people really angry at Trump? Lynch mob. That the lynching. That was the problem. Um, and it's somewhat ironic, you could say, that on a day when people are rushing to judgment and attacking a person uh, under false pretenses. And they're doing it over the usage of a term for a rush to judgment and a horrific extrajudicial attack on individuals. And they just don't seem to understand that we have Google and we have the ability to go back in the archives and look at things and figure out what was said about whom and when. And if this were 20 years ago, you know, do you think that CBS or NBC News or anything would have gone to the archives to find that Joe Biden clip from 1998? Of course not. We never would have known. But now we know they're they're hacks, folks. They're frauds. The Democrats who jump all over Trump for using the word, the media that pretended it was the worst thing to have happened in, you know, at least 24 hours with Trump. And we all had to waste our time hearing about this, all the denunciations and everything else when they didn't mean any of it. It was just about bashing Trump because really for them, everything's about bashing Trump. We're upset about President Trump's words all of the time. But what you can't argue with are the results he's put forth for the African-American community, whether we're talking about opportunity zones in inner cities, whether we're talking about criminal justice reform, which is something Barack Obama wanted forever, that Democrats clamored for, but only Donald Trump was able to deliver. And the fact that his economic policies have resulted in record low unemployment in African-American communities as well. That's what the Democrats don't want to have happen. People starting to judge uh, from any community, really, the results of this presidency as they affect Americans in their everyday lives. Has President Trump made it harder or easier for you to pay your bills, keep your job, advance in your career, uh, start a business? Has he made it more or less difficult for people to be able to support themselves, to have greater financial autonomy and all of the benefits that come with that. They're going to skip past all that and immediately or or continuously make this all a question of whether or not a good person could vote for this president. It's supposed to become a referendum on who we all are as human beings. Uh, meanwhile, I, I see a presidency with a record that any Democrat would be heralded for. In terms of in terms of the economy. Um, and yet they've stopped saying it's the Obama economy because that was the talking point for the first year or two to make it make it seem like, oh, whatever. It's the Obama economy. Well, really? Is it still the Obama economy? Because we're in year three now going into year four pretty soon. Is it still the Obama economy that uh, we're going to that's that was that was the line that I would I would hear this when I was down in D.C. working at the Hill. I would hear about how, oh, it was. All because of Obama. Um, turns out that's not the case. Uh, another area where I, I have to say I've, I've really started uh, to lose patience is with people just claiming that Trump is violating the Constitution. They say this because I think they think it sounds smart and serious. He is violating the Constitution. But I always want to turn around and ask, how? 
How is he violating the Constitution? In what way? In what manner is he violating the Constitution? I mean, here's a perfect example. You have uh, Senator, Senator. My, by the way, my, my gurgling Gergen from CNN and Patrick Leahy, it's the same voice because you can't. I, I would challenge you if you put a screen up between them, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart. Senator Patrick Leahy in Vermont. It sounds like this is a judiciary committee. For those of you who are like, Buck, what are you saying? Exactly. But Leahy claims that there are violations. Uh, Producer Mark, if you would, please, let's hear from Senator Leahy, clip nine. He should read the Constitution. Uh, he doesn't He didn't know that emoluments clause is part of the Constitution. He thought it was some kind of a regulation. I wish you'd take the time to do what every other president has done. Sit down, read the Constitution. Sit down and read the read the Constitution. <laughs> that's that's pretty much the extent of liberal analysis of the emoluments clause and, and how Trump is violating the the Constitution. Um, I appreciate that that Trump he's just not having it with this stuff. He's not playing their game. You know, it's uh, like said, this, just read the Constitution. Uh, here's Trump responding to this emoluments clause nonsense. Play, play clip three, please. Other presidents, if you look, other presidents were wealthy. Not huge wealth. George Washington was actually considered a very, very rich man at the time. But they ran their businesses. George Washington, they say, had two desks. He had a presidential desk and a business desk. I don't think uh, you people with this phony emoluments clause. Remember, they've been claiming that because Trump owns, for example, the Trump Hotel in D.C., that's corrupting foreign influences because foreigners go in to the Trump Hotel and get a martini and some French fries. And, and that that money trickles all the, all the way to Trump in a way that it could corrupt him or direct his foreign policy. They look at this stuff all the time. Who's throwing parties at the Trump? I used to hang out at the Trump Hotel in D.C., so I know all about this. Who's throwing parties at the Trump Hotel? How much money is this group or that group spending at the Trump Hotel? It's a hotel. People are going to exchange goods and services there. They're going to pay for things. You know, anybody who walked into Trump Hotel or Doral or any of these places and said, I'm not going to stay here tonight unless you decide to break off all relations with the country of blah, 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 would find that that doesn't work very well. And that's what the emoluments clause is about. Actual corruption of policy by individuals who are foreign. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Does Free speech still exists in this country. We like to think that it does. But let's do a quick review, shall we? Recent weeks, we have seen, for example, the economic pressure brought by China to push people in this country to say things that they shouldn't say or uh, to shut down people from saying things that they should say. But you could say, well... That's not the government infringing upon our speech. And I'd say, oh, okay, fine. But it definitely feels like the concept of freedom of speech is under assault from many different quarters. All right, but but fair enough. What about pronoun usage? 
that gets a little closer, doesn't it, to state sanction? Uh, now we're being told that there's the oh well, there's there's always the possibility that we'll go the route that Canada did, where someone's preferred pronouns become an issue of government mandate. So while I may sit here and tell you that, also why is it if my pronoun is he? Can it also be inferred? You know, they always do this thing. My pronouns are, you know, he, him, his. Well, if I tell you my pronoun is he, can't you just assume that his and him come after that? Or or do we get to choose depending on specific usage? Sometimes I'm he, but then I'm then I'm also, you know, hers when I want to be possessive about something. I, I don't know. Just just notice that they always do this thing, this this virtue signaling now on the left of, you know, my pronouns are, you know, he, him, his or she, her, hers or they, z something or other. I don't know. Haven't yet had the uh, haven't yet had the situation play out in court where somebody is being punished for using the wrong pronouns. But I, I, that's just a matter of that's just a matter of time. And I, I do believe now if you use the wrong pronoun in the workplace, so now there is a legal tie in here, you you might be uh, liable in a civil sense. Okay. But you might say, well, that's definitely government. If you have to say that a he is a she in the workplace or else you could be sued, well, then that's definitely government action. So now we are getting into First Amendment under assault territory. But what about just you can't say something really bad or else you're going to go to prison? Prison, which is the government sanction against individual. I mean, this is where the government takes away, literally takes away your freedom by putting you in prison. What about there? Do we have any instances of free speech that is uh, under assault? And I bring you this case of students at the University of Connecticut who were recently arrested for walking past a dormitory and just using the N-word. They didn't call anyone the N-word. Not that, from in my, my view, legally, that, would, that should be a distinction that we would make. But they, they didn't call anyone the N-word. They just used the N-word. Um, and, of course, here I am on radio and... Not only are there words that I cannot say because they're considered profanity, which is an interesting restriction on speech. I think that really the audience should be the determining factor in whether my language is acceptable or not, not the government. But government regulations are what they are. You know, and I, I don't have a right to be on the airwaves across the country uh, on, on terrestrial radio, at least. If we were just doing this on the Web, then I technically could say anything. And then socially and politically... I am not allowed to say the N word in any capacity ever. I'm pretty sure that even if I were, let's say, a court stenographer and reading aloud the court transcript to everybody in court, I could not say the word without massive repercussions. Governor Cuomo decided that he would he would not obey that dictate, that cultural dictate, and had some consequences from it. He's a Democrat, so he will not be destroyed by it. He'll just be criticized for it. But you had three people who were walking past a dimly lit parking lot at the University of Connecticut, and they walked past an open window, and they repeatedly said the N-word. And this then was put on an 11-second video that was circulating all over social media earlier this month. 
and campus police arrested and charged two students on Monday of this week with violating a Connecticut hate crime statute. Jared Corral and Ryan Mukaj, 21 years old, both described by police as white, were charged with ridicule on account of creed, religion, color, denomination, nationality, or race. The misdemeanor charge is punishable by a maximum of 30 days in jail or a fine of up to $50. But 30 day, you can get 30 days in prison now in the state of Connecticut for saying a word that you're not allowed to say. My friends, it is a stupid, ugly, and nasty thing to walk around yelling a racial epithet or just to use a ra- racial epithet in general. See, I have free speech, or at least I think I do for the time being, so I can say that. But this is as cut and dry as it gets. I mean, this is as clear cut as you will find. You cannot have laws that criminally punish people for using a certain word because the word is offensive or the word makes people feel bad. If we accept this in this country, the First Amendment is is over and done with. There is no freedom of speech. How long is it before we're told that Illegal alien is a dehumanizing term. We already hear that. But a dehumanizing term to the degree that there must be laws that punish people who would use what is currently the correct in federal statute term for someone in the United States without legal permission to be here. Does anyone think we're far off from this? How often in the last 10 years have conservatives been way off the mark when warning about where some part of the progressive agenda was going, what the next steps of wokeness would be. Look at the transgender debate. We have the seven-year-old down in Texas. Finally, the country's focusing in on this for a moment after yesterday. And what we would have been told 10 years ago was there'll, there'll never be a case. No one's ever, no one's going to say that you should transition a seven-year-old with hormone therapy and all this stuff. No one, but no one's saying that. It's bigoted for you to even suggest that. Oh, now we're here. It's not bigoted to suggest it because it's happening. Does anyone really think that the power mad left would stop at just what is really the ugliest of racial epithets in the English language? No, they first established that that's where they draw. uh, That's where they draw the line and then the line will move. Then there will be more terms that are a part of this. In fact, I think it was in. I can't tell if it was in New Hampshire or Massachusetts. Producer Mark, let me know if you see. I I forgot where it was. This just came up yesterday where they're going to try to outlaw calling someone a very, uh, well, it is a word for a female dog. That's that's one that's one way of saying it on the I I don't I think Massachusetts It's Massachusetts. And you can say that word on the radio, by the way. I can? Yes, I've heard people say it many times. Are you sure? 100%. I don't know. Uh, you don't have to say it. I'm just saying I know, you I'm, are allowed I to feel, say it on the radio. I would it's feel, not one of the seven dirty words. I would feel naughty. I know I you would. I, I don't know if I can. I've do heard it. people do. I've, we, we have a clean show here, family friendly. But yeah, word for female dog. Massachusetts is trying to say that, I, I guess it's misogynistic or something, so you can't call someone that. What about if you're saying it? No, no, no. Let's, let's dig into this for a moment. What if you're saying it uh, to be humorous? What if you're saying that that word that begins with a B because you're trying to be funny? I've had lots of people 
say it. They say it in like a funny voice or something, and it's part of humor. Is it would it be illegal then, or only if you say it in a mean way? Who's going to adjudicate that? Uh, and then that brings me to the more serious, the more serious uh, term, and the one that I think is understandably more upsetting to people, of the N word, which I will say this: I disagree. I disagree with the prohibition of being even able to say the word in any context or any reference whatsoever based upon your skin color. Because I am white, I am never allowed to say that word. Ever. Even if I'm, as I said, if I'm reading a court transcript, if I'm, I'm just never allowed to say it. I disagree. There is a pernicious effect. There is a, a nasty and, and long-lasting legacy of words that some people can say and some people can't. What does that mean for the English language, for our communication, for the future of discourse? So I, I but I, but I can't, like I said, I'll tell you the truth, but I'm not going to be somebody who just charges, charges up the hill to get machine gunned to make a point when everyone else is like, well, that was dumb. So I'm not allowed to say that word. I disagree with that as a principle. Now, that doesn't mean that I think I should be able to say that to a person. I think any racial slur said to a person is grotesque. Racism is wrong. Saying something that's racially hurtful or harmful to somebody is an egregious, dishonorable, ungallant, nasty thing to do. But I don't think that I should be never able to say it. What if I'm in court and somebody says that they called me a, you know, uh, you know the, the, or they, they yelled out this word and I'm trying to just, no, I can't say it. They, you know, I'm never allowed to say it. That's the, the new rule is you're never allowed to say it, which is absurd. It's an absurd rule, but we all, we all bend the knee. We all say, oh, we don't want to get in trouble. And that brings me back to this case in, uh, at the University of Connecticut. These two students, and it's very important, obviously, in this Washington Post piece that it's noted the police say the two students who are arrested are are uh, white. Um, does anyone think that there's no one on the campus of the University of Connecticut who ever says the N-word? I have friends and I've had colleagues uh, who are African-American who will freely use the term. So now under under Connecticut's hate crime statute are we going to have this is where this is where this is heading my friends are we going to have a circumstance where african americans are legally entitled to say a word but a white person who under any context says the word could be put in prison for 30 for 30 days that is as i understand it the way the law would play out right now in 2019 here in america See, liberals have no real respect for the First Amendment. If, if the First Amendment does not protect hateful, disgusting, vile, racist speech, the First Amendment doesn't protect anything. We don't need a First Amendment to protect how's the weather. We don't need a First Amendment to protect us from saying, you know, you look great. Did you lose some weight? Although, actually, if you say that to somebody these days, you probably get in trouble. That's that's like a microaggression. It's bad. Uh, but the the frenzy around this case uh, where you've had people who have been arrested for saying a word this is this is absolutely if you want to talk about if you want to talk about fascism something that seems fascistic to me is putting people in a cell because they say a word you don't like not allowed folks not if you're going to believe in that free speech is a thing that there is a first amendment and that it has any real meaning this is from the washington post on this case the arrests come 
amid outcry from students demanding that administrators address racism and promote inclusion on the university's main campus in Connecticut. Shortly after the parking lot video went viral, another student alleged that two fraternity members used a racial slur against her at a party. This is according to the university's NAACP chapter. Well, let's see. Did that actually happen? Can anyone prove that happened? There are plenty of race hoaxes on campus. Oh, I know. We're supposed to forget it, but it happens all the time. On Monday afternoon, hundreds of students chanted, it's more than just a word during an on-campus march and rally, joining professors and calling for action. Uh, it's not more than just a word. It's a word. A lot of words have a lot of meetings, a lot of implications, a lot of stuff. It's a word. If you can't say a word without being arrested, we have a problem. We don't have a First Amendment anymore. And students in this current era of safe spaces and I don't want to hear anything that I don't like that's nasty. Uh, here, here's a perfect example of this. Quote, I feel uncomfortable and scared on this campus at this point, said uh, a UConn student. We want change. This is not fair to us. It's disrespectful. These two students that said this word, not to anybody, but just said it to each other and was caught on video. These two students are almost certain to be expelled, which I will say that's the university can say, hey, you act like a jerk. We're kicking you out. of. You don't have a right to be at the university. That's I'm fine with that. But you also get into the well, where do they draw the lines on free speech, which is the whole the campus speech debate. I actually did my college thesis on this, but the campus speech debate is another. But at least that's that's. Well, it's University of Connecticut, which I think, oh, no, it's not a state school. I don't know. I have to look it up. But is it a state school? Is it a private institution? There's a little bit of a difference there. But arresting people? Students are saying that they're scared and they think that racism is flourishing on campus when in reality, two idiots said something dumb on video to each other and were arrested for it. I think that's the opposite of flourishing and people are okay with it and everything else, you know. The the hypersensitivity and the desire to use the state to protect people's feelings. This is an existential threat to the First Amendment of free speech. We used liberals used to understand this. They've abandoned this now. Wokeness has completely eradicated for many of the major institutions of the left uh, any sense of of uh, free speech that could be considered controversial it could be considered dangerous or whatever it may be racist sexist does the first amendment really count anymore does the free speech clause in the first amendment mean anything to the left of this country um i would say no not really they don't they don't they believe in free speech until they really really don't like the speech and then they don't believe in free speech anymore and they will send men with guns and handcuffs to take you and lock you up until you agree to not say the words that they don't want you to say. It's not free speech. It's a problem. Hope you're all enjoying the Pluto TV show here on channel 248. To those of you who are listening to the podcast, you can always just download the Pluto TV app and tune in. You get a little peek as to what really goes on in the Freedom Hut day in and day out. Uh, we'd love for you to join. And also we hope that you'll continue to share the podcast with friends. You can listen to it on iTunes, the iHeartRadio app, app or wherever you listen to podcasts it's going up every day by three eastern so we want this to be your and all of your friends all the people you know who care about politics and conservative moderate even some liberals listen to this show more liberals should listen to the show they'd understand what conservatives uh conservatives really think uh, you can listen every day at three eastern so please do uh, join us for that and check that out by the way you know producer mark threw something kind of random in the mix when i was talking about the joker movie 
that the uh, these steps where the Joker does this weird dance. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming, by the way, that for Halloween, everyone's dressing up as the Joaquin Phoenix version of the Joker now. Because uh, I remember years ago, that was a very popular costume when The Dark Knight Rises came out. It turns out that the stairway from the uh, Joker movie is so scary that even Ocasio-Cortez has come out to say, quote, when I was growing up, everybody would tell us was stay away from those steps or go with a friend. The steps run along 167th Street and 1165 Shakespeare Avenue on Instagram. So, Producer Mark, you were correct. These stairs are allegedly a scary place to hang out, which is which. Hopefully, this may, maybe this will revitalize this block a little bit. I'm always correct, Buck. Make it a tourist. See, I hmm. say that though, and since we don't always agree, that means that one of us has got to be wrong, or we can just always be right. I like where producer Mark's heads hmm. out on this one. Let's just both always be right. That's a better way to go. All right, uh, Syria, what's happening there? You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. So we have a small group uh, there, and we've secured the oil. Other than that, there's no reason for it, in our opinion. And again, the Kurds are going to be watching. We're working with the Kurds. We have a good relationship with the Kurds. But we never agreed to, you know, protect the Kurds. We fought with them for three and a half to four years. We never agreed to protect the Kurds for the rest of their lives. Remember this. When Iraq was fighting the Kurds, everybody thought we were going to fight with the Kurds. I said, well, it's a little strange that we're fighting with the Kurds when we just spent $4 trillion on Iraq, and now we're going to be fighting Iraq. So what I did is I said, we're not going to take a position. Let them fight themselves. Based on the intelligence we have, the reporting we have, of the 11,000 or so detainees that were imprisoned in northeast Syria, um, we've we've only had reports of a little bit more than 100 that have escaped. Uh, The SDF, and we remain in contact with them, are maintaining uh, uh, guards over top of prisons they have control of. So right now we have not seen this big prison break that we all expect. Wait a second. I thought that we were all told by the experts that if Trump was able to do what he just did if that if that decision to remove u.s troops from syria was allowed to stand then we would see mass chaos in in this portion of syria where eleven thousand detained isis fighters would all just be let loose turns out so far the number is a hundred and i can tell you from my time uh, dealing with and working on the Iraq issue back in the day for the U.S. government. There have been many, many prison breaks of far more than 100 people involving al-Qaeda in Iraq fighters and, and you know, ISIS fighters. This is not a huge number. This is not a big, a all things considered, a big deal. Yes, you could say it depends on who the 100 fighters are, but 100 fighters is not a lot in the grand scheme of things. We were told there's going to be a genocide of Turks. There have been some casualties, to be sure, and that's terribly unfortunate, but there have been 500,000 people killed in Syria, most of them while Obama was president and doing nothing about Syria. So now the 200 casualties between the uh, fighting going on with the Kurds and the Turks is, it's certainly regrettable. Is it evidence that Trump has made the wrong decision here? Does it prove that Trump has made the wrong decision here? I think The answer is a lot more complicated than a lot of the experts would have led you to believe in the last few days. The terrible things that we were told would happen right away as soon as the troops were 
moved uh, have not happened. I think it's fair to say, okay, well, that's that's a point worthy of some of some focus. The 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 parade of horribles that we were told would immediately occur or soon thereafter, once Trump had moved some of these troops out of Syria, that has not yet occurred. Um, I keep seeing all these news reports about how betrayed the Kurds feel, and I can understand that the suddenness of this would make it feel uh, like a jolt to the Kurds who have been fighting alongside us. But keep in mind, Kurds fighting against ISIS was in their interest too. And we did not just leave the Kurds high and dry. We have the United States government, the Trump administration, Secretary of State Pompeo, they have gone and they have formed a deal with the Turks to stop attacking the Kurds. And we have to remember that this is all with the backdrop of a 30 plus year insurgency fight between the PKK, a Kurdish separatist terrorist group. They are designated as terrorists and the Turkish government. So there's bad blood and problems stretching back here for decades have nothing to do with Trump. So was the plan going to be that we would have U.S. troops there forever? Was the plan going to be that we would always be the ones who would tell the, the, the Kurdish people of Syria who had who had fought along, had fought with us against the Islamic State that if anyone ever messes with you, we're going to fight. We're going to fight uh, them. We're going to what bomb how far are the people that are so worried about this willing to go? Would they have bombed Turkish military units in order to stop them from attacking the Kurds? Would we would we shoot Turkish planes out of the sky with our own planes or with uh, surface-to-air missiles? Would, would we do that to protect the Kurds? No. What we've seen is the Trump administration taking diplomatic action to try to protect our allies, but also to remove the United States from the middle of this mess. And today we have some uh, some news to that to that end. This is from Fox News. President Trump announced on Wednesday that conditions have been met between Turkey and the Kurdish-led Syrian Democratic Forces for what he called a permanent ceasefire between the two sides, and that the United States is list, is lifting sanctions on Ankara that were implemented following the invasion of northern Syria. Speaking at the White House, Trump said that while a permanent ceasefire will be tough to maintain in the volatile region, he hopes that it will last and end the conflict between Turkey and the Kurds. I do believe it will be permanent, he said. This was an outcome created by us, the United States, and nobody else. We've done something very, very special. So what you have here is the creation of a safe zone along the Turkish-Syria border, and you have a filling of the vacuum where Turkey and Russia are working or are agreeing to boundaries within Syria that are acceptable to them. And people are saying, oh, but look at this. There's a there's a Russian influence increasing as a result of this. I mean, I would just like to point out that Putin became the kingmaker in Syria, so to speak, under the Obama administration, Russia got heavily involved in fighting the civil war on behalf of the Assad regime. But the journalists want to keep rewriting history. They want to keep pretending that, oh, now all of a sudden Russia has become a very potent, very important player in the region. But that was not the case before. That's just a lie. That's just not true. But is it useful for bashing Trump? 
Yes, it is. The answer is it's useful for bashing Trump. And because it is useful to that end, nothing else matters. Nothing else is is uh, important here. The history, the context, everything else, it's all just left by the wayside. Um, and that's why I, I've just been fighting against what I feel is a clear campaign of hysteria about Trump's move. Look, there's legitimate criticism of it. It it was more abrupt than it probably should have been. It was did not consult with necessary partners in the region. But maybe Trump's goal here was to not allow people, uh, not allow these different players to pressure him to do something he didn't want to do as commander in chief. And he says, look, we're, we're just coming out. We're just not going to be in the middle of this. We're not going to be the buffer. We're not going to have U.S. troops as the buffer between all these warring factions in a country where there is simply no imminent core U.S. national security interest at stake. And we have the troops being moved now to Western Iraq. People are saying, oh, well, he's not he's not ending wars. He's just moving the troops to another. Well, adding to the area of operations of active conflict is expanding on a war. And Trump is trying to, you could say, at least contract the war. If he can't end the war, he should make it smaller. Less territory that we are trying to defend, less territory where U.S. troops are being put in imminent harm. Ah, But that's not how, of course, this is not how the left sees uh, any of this. They see it as an opportunity to bash Trump, to say that he's made this horrible mistake and that the Russians are benefiting from this in ways that just show how terrible this Trump decision is. I, I think the president's right. We do not want a presence in Syria. If you go, go back and look at what happened when Ronald Reagan, that's right, it was Reagan, when he was president, we had a U.S. contingent as uh, as part of this multinational force in Beirut trying to help just calm things down, stabilize things there. And then eventually we had Hezbollah suicide bombers driving into the Marine barracks. We lost almost 300, almost 300 of our own in one day. And eventually we realized this isn't our fight. We're just going to go. And things in Lebanon calm down. Now, Lebanon hasn't been exactly a model of stability since then, but at least it wasn't our soldiers, our people, trying to hold the whole place together, trying to keep the combatants from being at each other's throats. These are the distinctions that President Trump promised he would make. These are the promises that he put out there during the campaign. So why is he getting so this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that he's doing this, that he's making these decisions. It really is only a surprise to the foreign policy consensus set who never admit any mistakes. I mean, you ask them, you know, was Iraq a mistake? The people that pushed it would say, oh, no, it was a great idea. Afghanistan a mistake? No, no, things are going swimmingly there. Things are fantastic in Afghanistan. Was Libya a mistake? Oh, no, Jeffersonian democracy. I mean, I know I'm being a little glib about it, but. They never admit that the overarching strategy has been wrong here. Can can Trump maybe take credit? We'll have to see how long this holds. But if we do have what is promised right now, which is a ceasefire between the Turks and the Kurds in northern Syria and the Russians deconflicting with the Turks and work and the Russians, of course, working with the Assad regime to take control of these areas inside Syria. Isn't that the outcome we want? Isn't that a better outcome? The Kurds being closer to the Russians when the Russians are much more involved in Syria than we are we are willing to be. 
unless we're going to just invade. Isn't that a good idea? Isn't our only real interest there the suppression of the Islamic State and all of these different entities that we're talking about have an interest? Well, the Turks, maybe not as much, but the Kurds, the Russians, the Assad regime, they all want to suppress the Islamic State. Why not leave that to them? And if they're not getting the job done, well, then we handle what we have to handle. What is the alternative? I I always ask this. What are we supposed to do? What was Trump long term being asked to do here on behalf of the Kurds? Not clear. No, no one seems to have the answer for that. Only Trump is terrible. Trump makes horrible foreign policy decisions. And this is what this is why I get so frustrated with it, because people see everything through a lens of whether, especially in this realm of national security and trying to make this trying to make good decisions that affect very much the lives, not just of people in foreign countries, but the lives of our own people who have to go clean up the mess in some foreign country. Trump's taking a different approach. He may be right here. I think he is. And won't it be be interesting to look back on this and see what was being said about this decision versus what actually happened. The reason I start uh, with Aloha everywhere I go is because... To me, the key to overcoming the divides in our country and in Washington lie in this word. Uh, It does not mean hello. It does not mean goodbye. The real meaning of the word aloha is uh, I come to you with respect. That it is a recognition that we are all brothers and sisters. That we are all uh, children of God. No matter where we come from, no matter uh, who we love, where we live, how we worship, if we worship, how much or how little money we have, none of these things matter when we are just rooted in our foundation of seeing each other for who we really are. And that, my friends, is why the left hates Tulsi Gabbard right there. That's why someone who is a progressive, a leftist, a very anti-Trump is constantly being thrown under the bus by her own side. Hillary Clinton, how many Democrats did you hear? We've been talking about this. How many Democrats did you hear who said it is absolutely... Bernie Sanders did come out. Give the guy some credit. It's like, it's crazy what they said about him. If anyone's a Russian asset, it's me, but a Soviet asset, not a Russian asset. So I went to Soviet Union for my honeymoon. It was amazing. Uh, I, I still think that that doesn't get enough focus, that Bernie Sanders chose to go to the Soviet Union on his honeymoon. An American who's like, yeah, I got an idea, honey. Let's celebrate our nuptials by being in a place where bread lines and toilet paper shortages are the norm and there's no freedom and people are essentially all indentured servants of the state. Yeah. Let's go check it out. It's going to be amazing. Uh, I, I hear Vladivostok is lovely this time of year. So... Bernie did step up, though, for Tulsi, which was an interesting moment. But I think really because that was a way to to take a, a slap at, at Hillary Clinton's comments. I think that's what really was motivating Bernie there, not some inherent bravery. But Tulsi's message here of can we just be respectful to each other? And she has been respectful to conservatives that have wanted to talk to her. In fact, I'd love to get her on the show at some point. About I found out yesterday, producer Mark told me, I didn't realize. Uh, Andrew Yang and I follow each other on Twitter. Who even knew? I forgot about that. So I could probably get Yang to come in here and hang out and talk about some things. We'd have a very interesting conversation. I like people who are respectful and have ideas, regardless of where they fall in the political spectrum. I like people who are respectful and have ideas. Democrats, however, cannot abide this stuff right now because the whole Democrat narrative, we're going to get into why this is. 
One, it's because Trump has broken them and psychologically they're damaged because they've had to question so much about what they thought was true in the world because of the Trump presidency. Uh, but also the primary pitch in 2020 is going to be if you vote for Trump, you're a bad person. And so anyone within the Democratic faithful who undermines that message is a problem, right? Anyone who is saying, well, hold on a second. I mean, there are, there are good people who vote for Trump. There are good people who uh, are Republicans. Oh, no, Democrats can't allow that. They would much prefer to give platforms to people who will say anything to be on TV as long as they're damaging Trump. Uh, the mooch. The mooch. What a what a perfect, perfect description. Uh, here he is on national TV. This is a guy who I remember being on Fox a couple times and he was a he would defend anything Trump said. Anything Trump did was, you know, this is a non-traditional president. He's amazing. He's a game changer. He's fantastic. Oh, but then the mooch gets fired from his White House job. And then this happens. Play clip one. I predicted on this show that there would be a full blown meltdown. We're three months into the meltdown. And so I'll make I'll make another prediction. They're going to start turning on each other. They've already have the White House staff because the president doesn't have anybody's back. He's the most disloyal person that you can come across in civilization. And so they're going to start turning on each other now. Uh, and then they're going to turn on him and they're going to admit to the rank illegality, the rank amorality of the president. Okay, and when that happens, this thing's going to be over, and you're going to need a possible solution. So, when you're an entrepreneur, you look at the future, and you're like, okay, we well, let's curve the future towards a reality that we see as entrepreneurs. And so that that's what I think will happen. And we'll, and anything to get on TV, anything to damage Trump. No aloha spirit from the mooch. No, I come with respect. As Tulsi said, hate the other side, undermine the other side, just say the nastiest things possible. That's going to be the Democrat 2020 strategy. And so no one's allowed to get in the way of that. Some liberals annoy me more than others. It's a very obvious statement. But I mean some type of uh, certain types of liberals, not just individuals, but people fall into a, a particular genre. Uh, and, and at very high on my list these days are pastors, men of the cloth, people within the, the Christian uh, Christian faith tradition, also known, I guess, just as Christians, uh, who try to come up with ways to say that the party, the, the, the real Christians in America today are Democrats and really actually leftists, not even just Democrats, that the far left of the political spectrum is more in line with Christianity, which I have to tell you is a pretty brazen, crazy thing to say, but it is said. Uh, I was sitting actually today, and some of you might have noticed I, I got a haircut, so I feel like I feel like a shorn sheep or perhaps a, a shorn llama. I don't know if, if which one is more accurate, but it was like it was like they had taken a a weed whacker to a, a yak. I let the let the buck the buck hair get a little too long, uh, but I was sitting there in the in the barber chair and MSNBC was on, and I'm somebody who occasionally you know I, I like to take a peek behind enemy lines and see all right well what what are what is the other side saying what what is their approach here what is their position, and they had on this uh, this guy who I I I've heard of him before. I actually don't think I'd seen him on TV before, but I've heard of of his work. 
is Pastor Jim Wallace, who went on to to just say all the things that I know my liberal my liberal atheists uh, I wouldn't say friends liberal atheist colleagues that I've had in the past love this stuff. They love the the members of the evangelical community who will come forward and be like, well, you know, the real the real person to support if you're if you're a believing Christian is, you know, Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders, because, you know, Jesus was a Marxist and taking care of the poor is what Democrats do. And you know, all these sweeping statements that are not fair, that are not true, and they leave out a whole other bunch of stuff. Like Democrats are the party of infanticide, of transgender uh, hormone therapy for seven-year-olds, for just you know, go to for locking people up for saying things that are not popular or not acceptable or whatever the case may be, not politically correct. Uh, Democrats don't believe in any one universal morality. Generally speaking, they're much more likely. I know this is a broad statement. Much more likely to be. Uh, moral relativists, yeah, you do your thing, I do my thing. There's no universal truth. It's kind of a strange thing to say if you believe in God, Jesus, and the Bible. But nonetheless, uh, here was Pastor Jim Wallace. Uh, I, I wanted producer Mark to pull this just so you could hear. He's got a book out, Christ in Crisis. I shouldn't have said the title. Don't don't buy it. Uh, here's 25. I've had these conversations with fairly prominent white evangelicals. And I've pushed them. And I said, what's the limiting principle for you? What exactly would Donald Trump have to do to forfeit your vote? Not even to earn the vote of a, of a Democrat. And the answer that I get is none. That is that they, they're so seized with fear, that uh, many of them, not all evangelicals, but many of them, so seized with fear and a sense that this is an existential moment, that they believe that they have to defend Trump no matter what he does, because they think darkness will descend upon the land if he loses. That's the mindset you're, that we're dealing with. Okay, but then doesn't that get us somewhere, Jim, around the worshiping of false idols? Well, Pete is, is right. I mean, here's, here's a radical idea. Our faith should shape our politics, not the other way around. So some of these religious right, uh, evangelical white elite leaders, they've made a Faustian bargain, as Pete's been describing here, a Faustian bargain with Donald Trump. You give us these things we want, and we'll ignore everything you say and do. So the body of Christ around the world, the church, is the most diverse human community on the planet. But here, it is idols, Stephanie, you're right. It is the idols of uh, uh, whiteness and, and the whole, our neighbor is our enemy. No, Jesus said, love your neighbor. So there's an idolatry here, and you're right on it. That's what we have to deal with. This is about our relationship to God. There's a relationship to God here. There's, uh, there's idolatry, and there's... You know, love your neighbor. That means your neighbor, you know, can can make you make your your child, you know, have gender transition surgery. And if you want to have an abortion for a baby that's uh, eight months eight months in the womb, and you know, if you if you think that you know Christians are all bigots and that uh, traditional marriage is bigoted and terrible, you know, this is. I just want to know uh, where do they find this guy. That was the, the second one you heard from there is Jim Wallace. There's got to be nice to the neighbors and really, you know, the white nationalism right now. I'm just so basically I'm going to pretend to be a man of the cloth, but I'm really going to be up here just saying all kinds of social justice 
left-wing woke stuff, but, you know, the leftists will love it because even though they actually generally hate Christianity and the church, they hate traditional morality, I'm somebody from technically that team of Christianity, and I'm saying all the things that the HuffPost comment section would want to say. Where do they find this guy? Amazing. He's an author. He's getting put on TV. I, I remember I had a, I had an evangelical uh, author who showed up at the Hill. I don't know if we ever. I don't even know if we ever aired the interview. It got a little bit. Uh, got a little bit contentious. And you know he was all well. You know I think the real even if you're a real believing evangelical, you know you have to be a Democrat. First of all, uh, I'm sorry. Where does it say in the Bible that people can show up and have an expectation that the government? would take from me to give to them, even if they are violating the laws of that government. Because that's, when we're talking about illegal immigration, that's what we're talking about. So people who are showing up here illegally in America, it's not just they're violating state sovereignty. They show up with the expectation that the government will take my property, my time, the essence of my work, and all of you listening too, and give it to those people in violation of law. And if you don't know, if you're not OK with that, if you say, I'm not going to pay my taxes anymore because you're letting in millions and millions of illegal aliens and not doing anything about it, you go to prison. Is, is that biblical? I just I just want to know, you know, where, where's the render under Caesar's part of this? Uh, but we don't even have to get into that. I, I just thought it was so interesting when I spoke to this evangelical author. I don't remember the guy's name and his book was crap and his, his arguments were garbage. But his uh, his point was that. Well, climate change, if you're you have to be if you're a real Christian, you have to be a good steward of the environment. It's like so now we're just going to say agree with me in a very contentious scientific political debate or else you're or else you're not a good Christian. This is the position. I mean, the, the leftists love to do this. I, I think it's a it, it they know that it's just intellectually laughable, but they'll do this anyway. Um, and yet. You, you come across this. Uh, the, the other point that that, I don't know who the first guy was before, before Jim Wallace, before he's sitting there saying, yeah, you got to do all the things for the illegals or else you're a bad Christian. You're going to burn in hell. Uh, the first guy who spoke there saying that there's a Faustian bargain made or that there, and also uh, Stephanie Rule worship false idols. I mean, I don't even, I wonder how many books of the Bible Stephanie Rule could, could cite off the top of her head. That would be a fun question. It'd be a fun one to ask. Yeah, it's just like they're like worshiping the false idols, like totally like there's like that big like the golden like moose or whatever that they were all like, oh, it's the golden moose. Like we're all dancing around it. You know, Stephanie Rule, I don't think she knows a lot about the Bible, um, but there we are. And we're being told here. We're being told that. Evangelicals, Christians in this country have done something terrible because they support President Trump, who clearly has a a checkered past, clearly has a background that uh, does not line up with somebody living Christian values and virtues necessarily. But we also all accept that we're imperfect. And we also understand that we are in an era where the ability to live your Christian faith as any American is increasingly under assault. Just ask the guy who didn't want to bake a cake that was celebrating not just a gay wedding, by the way, but, you know, Satan and putting genitalia on the cake and all, all kinds of stuff they did to Masterpiece Cake Shop. I mean, Christianity is under assault from the left. You had, uh, what was it, Beto O'Rourke just recently say that if you don't support, uh, if a church doesn't support LGBTQ agenda, then it should lose its tax-exempt status. 
So in that circumstance, remember, people are voting for a politician. They're not voting for the pope or their chief bishop or whatever the equivalent would be in other. I mean, I I grew up Catholic. I don't know what it is if you're an evangelical, what the, what the top evangelical leader would be called. Uh, but people are voting for a politician that has the power to enforce or not enforce laws, to sign bills or not sign bills, to veto things. I mean, this is... This is the decision that is being made and to trash people for making a decision that they think has at least a champion for their freedom to live their faith in their lives is deeply disingenuous and unfair and gross. Uh, but, you know, Democrats, I look, I give Ann credit uh, and Coulter credit and credit and Coulter credit years ago. And she wrote about godless and the Democratic Party is overrun with not just I mean, look, if people want to be atheists. That's fine. Militant atheists. People that want to run all traditional religion out of the public square have no response, have no real uh, ideas to what should replace it. They just they just want to er eradicate it. No one else can have it. No one else can enjoy that or have that have that faith be a part of their lives. And yet somehow, I mean, a lot of Catholics vote vote Democrat, you know, Catholics will vote for the. The uh, infanticide party. I don't I don't understand that one, but it happens nonetheless. Uh, it's just something that I see now. There's an effort to really rub evangelical in particular, it's evangelicals, their noses in support in support for Trump as some kind of hypocrisy when they've made a determination. And it's a sound one that their choices are, you know, the the, the party of. Eradication of religion from the public square, of playing, paying lip service to religious freedom when social justice and wokeness and multiculturalism is always going to be elevated above religious freedom in the eyes of the, you know, when the left is in charge. And Christians, traditional Christians have made this determination that they'd rather have somebody who at least fights for their right to be who they are and worship as they see fit. And now they're, and now they're being bashed for it by, by people like this guy, Jim Wallace. I mean, I don't, I don't you know MSNBC. I know they put a lot of a lot of loons on TV on a regular basis, but this guy. I was sitting in my chair, getting my haircut, and I was just thinking to my. I wasn't even planning on talking to this today, but saw him there. Yeah, you know, you just have to just, you know, Jesus just gave all of his possessions away. So, you know, for the Green New Deal, why don't we just give all of our stuff away so we can get rid of all the carbon in the air? And if you don't do that, you know, God doesn't love you. And uh, I'm a man of the cloth, and I'm here to tell you all. It was, I, you know, this guy really, really rubbed me the wrong way, obviously. So, um, you know, if you're going to be a priest, at least be a nice priest. You know, you don't have to be a, you don't have to be a great orator. You don't have to be a, a, an, an icon of, of, uh, of virtue in the face of all of your detractors and all that stuff. But, but just but don't be a mean priest. This guy is kind of mean. It's not just the donors who are concerned. You have two front runners who are both extremely flawed and extremely vulnerable. Joe Biden has seemed very rickety on that debate stage. He's not raising money the way he should. He's spending too much money, doesn't have cash reserves. And Elizabeth Warren is to the left of a lot of Democratic voters and a lot of general election voters. So I think the, the panic here is real. What's sort of silly is the notion that there's someone out there in the mm -hmm. forest who's going to solve all of the problems. Like Democrats in a panic. A growing panic as this election gets closer and they realize this this group of candidates they put forward, not impressive, not likely to get it done, not likely to be able to make this happen. 
you know, Joe Biden as frontrunner. I've said all along, that is your frontrunner. That's who you think is going to win this election. A guy who they've had to adjust his schedule because he seems too tired and makes too many gaffes at the end of the day. Uh, someone who wasn't until Obama just essentially pulled him up out of nowhere. Well, he was a senator from Delaware, but no offense, Delaware, uh, and decided that he was going to be not the heir apparent. Remember that it, it, Obama did not hand the baton, so to speak, to Biden. It went to Hillary. But now that's the best they can do. Elizabeth Warren, the more you look at her policies, she she has this persona of, well, I just I just want to do the best I can. And, you know, my daddy always told me that if you get too close to a porcupine and a hippopotamus and you roll them together, you got a shrimp salad. It's like, what? Doesn't make any sense. But who cares? She just has this affect of, you know, oh, I'm from the Midwest and. I didn't figure out that I was actually just a white lady until I was in my 60s, but you can trust me with the entire U.S. economy. Uh, the more you look at her policies, as we started to yesterday, it's radical stuff. Radical stuff. Now you could say, oh, but the Senate, the, the House, they'll, they won't go along with all this necessarily, so there'll be some kind of break on the crazy, but why do we want to put somebody in office where we need to have a break on the crazy? Wouldn't it be better to have somebody who knows what the heck they're doing and understands how to actually grow an economy. And I don't know. I mean, call you can call me crazy, but I think that's probably a better idea for all of us, for all involved. Um, but these Democrats are not going to be sufficient, even in the eyes of a lot of Democrats, to defeat President Trump, which is why you're seeing the desperation, the desperation of this impeachment inquiry, which is clearly unfair, which does not have any guardrails put on it, doesn't have anything that even begins to look like a free and, and fair, well, it's a free and fair election, a, a fair process, forget about whether it's free, uh, because they're looking to have some kind of X factor. They, they need to stack the deck. They need to hide a, a card. I was going to say a Trump card. Whoops. They need to hide a card up their sleeves, something to even the odds a little bit. Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and all these other Democrats, these people are not inspiring. And what do they really represent? What do they even stand for? They're going to try to go back toward the center because voters who are the undecideds in the key states care most about the economy. They care about health care. Uh, the Medicare for all plan is not going to withstand scrutiny. People are going to figure out in time that this is just not only is it not going to work as advertised, it would be a disaster, a disaster if they roll this thing out the way that they plan to, the way they say they will. And once that happens, well, then what do they really offer? What's really the value proposition of voting for any of these Democrats? They, they don't know. Why vote for Joe Biden? Oh, it's going to be a return to civility? He keeps saying he's going to beat Trump like a drum for one thing, which... I'm going to beat Trump like a drum, he says. Uh, I don't know where he got that phrase, but he's not helping his out-of-touch, grumpy old man syndrome at all with that stuff. The good news for him is that Bernie Sanders is in there who seems even grumpier and older. So at least Joe Biden, by comparison, isn't quite as uh, out of the age realm of, of what you would think would be able to run for the president of the United States. But I'm starting to see this. Democrats are really looking for something, really hoping that 
stuff that comes up. And, and that's where you're getting this stuff about not just Hillary, but maybe a Bloomberg or maybe you know Oprah or I've seen Michelle Obama. They're hoping she might get into the race. This is desperation time for Democrats, and we haven't even gotten through the primary yet. What does that tell you about whether they're ready to lead or not? As American people, we do a lot of business in China, and they know and understand our values, and we understand their values. And one of our best values here in America is free speech. We're allowed to say what we want to say, and we're allowed to speak up about injustices, and that's just how it goes. And if people don't understand that, that's something that they have to deal with. But, you know, I just think thought it was unfortunate for, you know, both parties, and then you got people speaking when they don't know what they're talking about. But, you know, Daryl Morey was right. Whenever you see something wrong going on anywhere in the world, you should have the right to say, that's not right, and that's what he did. And But, but again, you know, when it comes to business, sometimes you have to tiptoe around things, but, again, they understand our values we understand our values in here we have the right to speak especially with the social media we're going to say whatever we want to say when we want to say it yeah Shaq. yeah was that was that so hard by the way i mean i, I think Shaq did a very good job of, of making the point there but he's a major public figure a sport now he's a sports commentator but he was the most i think you could argue in his day probably the most dominant i used to watch a lot of nba stuff i think he was at in his heyday, the most dominant player in the NBA, in the history of the NBA. Nobody was able to dominate a game the way Shaq, even LeBron James, couldn't dominate a game the way Shaquille O'Neal could. Yeah, you can make the argument he's the most dominant dominant center of all time. Definitely the most dominant center of all time. Yeah. But I think you'd I mean, argue he's the most dominant. Michael Jordan. Whoa. Come okay, on. maybe. Dominant, though? Jordan was amazing, but it wasn't like you put him in the game and you're just inherently going to win the game, necessarily. Shaq, you just, get, you just dump it to him in the paint. And he was just dunk on everybody. All That's the a good point. Yeah. All right. So, you know, Jordan had Jordan had to work for his points. Shaq was just like, I will crush you and just jumped, jumped and dunked it and everything else. Anyway, back to the free speech point here, because I've been a little bit troubled today by how much free speech is, in fact, under assault and how, you know, th- this is a the, the case we we're talking about at University of Connecticut. That's a like out of a textbook of what should be considered, you know, a, a, a free speech issue where everybody should know that, yeah. It's it, the free speech here means that you're allowed to say the bad thing and not face government consequences. I mean, maybe face institutional consequences, get expelled or whatever, but not from the government. I mentioned the NBA situation. Now, that's a little bit more complicated because you're not getting in trouble with the government. That is a response. That's a, a response to economic pressure from an outside you know, a foreign government entity. But. You know, Shaq is willing to say, look, we got our values. They got their values. One of our values is we say what's on our minds. That's how we do things here. Daryl Morey was right. LeBron James should have said that. LeBron James could have said that or he could have said nothing. I'm always a big believer in people that, you know, if, they, if, if someone wants to stay in their lane and not be public uh, about their politics, I don't I would prefer we live in a country where you're allowed to do that. Then everyone is forced to, you know, if they're big enough, if they're important enough, have the kind of platform where they can really affect the discussion, they, they feel the uh, obligation to speak out about something. But good for Shaq on this point here. I mean, he what he says is absolutely true. He says absolutely the case that we understand their values, they understand our values. I think the Chinese increasingly are challenging our values. And as I've been mentioning to you, the people I know who watch that country very closely, understand it well, understand the culture, speak the language, it is becoming more aggressive toward the United States. It is becoming more aggressive uh, toward our people, not just as a general policy matter. 
And that's that's something that's going to have long-term implications. In the meantime, though, at least a willingness from the super powerful and wealthy in our society to say that we are not going to abandon free speech, that's encouraging. And uh, I, I give Shaq credit. I'll also say that the, the show that Shaquille does with Charles Barkley and the, uh, uh, I think the guy named Ernie on uh, TNT is actually pretty funny. That's a pretty good commentary. I, I used to watch that, right? You know what I'm talking Ernie about? Ernie Johnson. Ernie Johnson, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good show. Yeah, everyone says that's actually the best sports pregame, halftime, postgame show uh, in all sports, actually. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. even know that. Yeah, I would believe it because even I like it, and I'm not that into sports, so or at least watching professional sports. I should probably start watching more professional sports so I can relate to all of America because they're all watching professional sports all the time. But Yeah, if you want to say you're a big American, you have yeah, to watch I gotta sports. Be American. Well, I mean, don't even get me started on baseball. Oh, what's wrong with baseball? Do you like baseball? Too? I love baseball. Oh my god, you like hockey and baseball? I can't even. Hmm. Be, I can't even. I'm stuck in a room with this guy all day. This is absolutely madness. I mean, baseball is great if you want to sit in one place for seven hours and have three, three or four moments of excitement. You have to appreciate the sport. It's oh, like a long gosh. chess match. I got. I got to learn. Gotta, I'd rather watch a chess match. Actually, I'd well, rather you're be just wrong. In Washington Square Park, speed chess, slow chess. I don't care what kind of chess. More exciting than watching baseball. I'm always amazed. Is it doing... because hats don't fit your head? Is that it? All right, you got to go there. Yep. You know, also helmets. It's really the helmets that like. Squeeze... So then, all sports other than the NBA are out. The helmets squeeze the massive cranium. No, I like uh, I like football, I like the NFL because I'm an American. Oh. so that's the real sport. Remember and, last uh, week when I asked you to name a giant? Um, did I name one? You named Eli Manning. Yeah, I did. Who Boom. is not their starting quarterback? Victory. It's all we really. He's, and he's who is the starting quarterback? Now? Daniel Jones. Who is that? They just drafted him. Might as well make Buck Sexton the starting quarterback. No one knows who this guy is. A lot of people do, not Buck Sexton. Oh, whatever. See, this is why producer Mark is here. So make sure that I know the things that everybody in the country knows except for me, apparently. Like, who's the starting quarterback in the Jets? I haven't watched an NFL game yet this season. You know why? I've been too busy doing research for this show. Yeah, you email me all day on Sunday, and I'm like, what is Buck doing? Correct. Get a life. He's doing research for the show. Yeah. This, is all, this is all I do all day, all night. The Buck Sexton Show. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for Roll Call. Yes, it is. It is time for the Roll Call, which is uh, a fantastic time for all involved. Let us get to it, shall we? Uh, Start the noise here. TJ, uh, we'll do the... Facebook today. Uh, TJ writes, and remember, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to get on this roll call action. What do you think about Edward Stone's appearance on Joe Rogan last night if you haven't already opined it on your show? Uh, TJ, I'm sorry to say that the first I've heard about it is from you right now. I didn't know that Edward Snowden appeared on Joe Rogan's show, so I can't really have an informed opinion on it. And so I suppose I should... Uh, Check this out. Um, I, I this Snowden issue is is uh, can be a bit complicated sometimes. Um, depends on what aspect of it we're discussing. Same with talking about Julian Assange. Although I do think he's a he is a, people talk about a Russian asset. I think Julian Assange is a an asset of the Russians. Uh, Elena, Elena asks me a personal question that I will defer uh, for right now on. Benjamin Buck, thanks for letting us know about your Nashville visit. My wife and I have our tickets to Politicon and are bringing the kids. 
As a lifelong Rush baby, I first heard you when you filled in for Rush. I noticed you were using doctrinal terms when talking about national security and made the switch to listening to you in 2015. The Buck Brief is the best open source intel out there, and your Syria analysis and commentary on the Kurds is spot on. Thanks for all you do every day. I hope my kids grow up as Buck Babies. Look forward to seeing you in person this weekend. Sanctacomi, not so much. Ben. Uh, well, Ben, thank you so much for the kind words, man. Yes, I will be at Politicon in Nashville this weekend. And I'm excited to tell you that, uh, or I'm pleased to tell you, I've never been to Nashville before. In fact, I've never been to Tennessee before. It's going to be my first time. I'm 37 years young, and I haven't been to Nashville. So this is my first go in Nashville, which is going to be uh, quite a thing. Uh, I do I do keep saying I'm going to get down to Austin. I just talked to my brother about it this week. That is very high on my list. I do think I'll get to Austin hopefully very soon, especially my folks down at KLBJ Austin. We will be hanging out. It will happen. Uh, Erica. About the seven-year-old boy in Texas or any other youth going through gender transition, adults need to wait until that child experiences all the aspects of being an adult man or woman before any hormone therapy or surgery. This boy is yet to experience some aspects of his sexuality. He hasn't. uh, There's a pretty serious loss to his future. All right, Erica. Well, thank you uh, so much. And I agree with you that you shouldn't be able to gender transition until you're at least an adult uh, because the hormonal processes that are going on, especially in adolescence and through teenage years, to mess with that, I just think it's going to, it will have dire consequences, long-term health consequences for any individual. And beyond that, how can you really make an informed decision about that? Um, how can you make an informed decision without at least knowing and experiencing a bit more of life as an adult? Then... Uh, Van comes in and writes, hey, Buck, I personally don't think that President Trump picked the wrong word when he intimated that he is the victim of a political lynching. The reason it touched off such a firestorm is because generally the public at large consider the term to describe a racist act, even though there were certainly many whites that fell prey to lynch mobs. Yes, man, I said that. Uh, Julian Castro, Julian Castro, stated that it's beyond shameful to use the word lynching to describe being held accountable for your actions. But I ask you, isn't that exactly what those lynch mobs of old said they were doing? And many times lynchings were brought against a victim merely because of the way they looked or the way they were perceived without any real evidence. I pray that God will help our country in this a most critical hour. Shields high. Van. Oh, Van, thank you so much for your note, my friend. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, I think that. Well, we now know the Democrats use the term so much that for them to pretend that it is a, a horrible and heinous crime to speak of a political lynching if when Donald Trump does it. No, I'm sorry. We don't get to have certain people can say certain words. I, I don't approve of that in any context. I think words, it always depends on the intent, the circumstance, and that's how we determine whether or not someone has crossed a line. But not just you look this way, you look that way, you can say this, you can say that. Mm-mm. And certainly based on political persuasion, which we've seen more of that, too, um, as we sit here. And Justin Trudeau is the uh, prime minister of Canada once again because uh, he was woke, even though he had all of those incidents of anti-wokeness uh, in his past. Uh, it's one way of saying it. Wow. What a it's it's crazy. It's crazy. That guy's prime minister. Of Canada. All right, Rebecca writes. 
Hey, Buck, I enjoy watching you on Fox. I read you went to Amherst College. My brother-in-law went there, and I myself am from Western Massachusetts. I live outside of Boston. Um, do you ever come to Boston? Well, Rebecca, uh, I have been to Boston a couple of times, and I really do like it very much. It's a great town. I had some, had some fun there. I do not get there very often, though, especially now that we've launched the Pluto stream, Channel 248, on Pluto TV here of the first... This new amazing channel that's going to be the best conservative content you can get anywhere. Uh, I have to kind of be in place here, and I can't really do quite as much traveling as I used to. So that's all my way of saying, hopefully I'll get up there to Boston and eat some chowder. Drive up there in a car, eat some chowder. I love you, Boston. All you Boston, or is it Bostonites or Boston? It's Bostonians, right? Bostonite. I was way off. Uh... Marina writes, OSS here, original Saturday squad. I think Biden has such a lead because much of America doesn't pay close attention until after the primary. I think the Dems will help Biden waltz to the finish, but choose who his VP will be, knowing they will either have Biden step down or force him to step down for medical reasons, placing his VP squarely in the top seat. His VP should be our biggest concern. Huh. You think the Dems want Biden to win, but then we'll have his VP take over? Marina also writes, Jeffrey Epstein completely forgotten. Marina, I, I think that's mostly true. Uh, we have not really gotten to the bottom of the Epstein situation. Uh, some of the stories that I've read about how, oh, well, he made his money by, you know, doing these investments. Or, no, no, no. There was shady stuff going on. But they've made the whole, Ep they've made the Epstein story go away. That's real we're never going to really find out what was truly going on there. I mean, some of the bad stuff we know about, but there was so much more. There had to be so much more. And there's just not enough of an interest, not enough of a hunger in the media to get to the bottom of it. I wonder why, given some of the people that he was associating with. Uh, let's see here. Carrie um, wrote in about the clips of me talking over them. Sorry, guys, I won't talk over the clips. Uh, let's see. We have Frank writes two things you should know about have returned Peaky Blinders and the Drudge app. Whoa, the Drudge app is back. That is amazing. I was super bummed when the Drudge. That's a very good heads up. Let me see if I, oh, I guess I got to download it on my phone. I was so sad when they got rid of the Drudge app. I was told that it was just me and a bunch of old people that were reading it, but I, I use the Drudge app all the time. So that's back. And Peaky Blinders, I'm waiting to dive into the latest season, hoping to do that maybe, uh, well, not this weekend, maybe next weekend. But I very much want to do some uh, Peaky Blinders stuff. So, yes, indeed. I want to watch it. I think it's a great show. Producer Mark, you ever watch Peaky Blinders? You ever done it? I have not. Will will you give it a go on my on my say so? I think you'll be uh, maybe maybe. I don't know. I'm very busy nowadays. That's true. You're preparing for a wedding. How? What's the T minus what for the wedding? I don't know. It's like forty days, maybe under forty days now. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good luck, my friend. Well, thank you. You're gonna uh -huh. have you're gonna have your hands full and then some. What is your Netflix show of choice these days? 
Do you have one? I don't think I have one. I still haven't watched the new Breaking Bad movie, which is annoying me. I haven't watched that either. I want to get to that. Yeah, as I need well. to get to it. I actually have a. I've got like a stack of content that I got to see, but I also have a book to write and books to read and this show to do, and it's hard. Yeah. And now and it's technically a fall I'm supposed TV to have a social cycle. life too, and like maybe get married and have kids at some point. So we're working yeah. on that. There's a fall TV cycle, so I have to watch all the shows with the fiance. Uh, yeah. yeah. Did you watch anything good? Uh, I watched nine one one on Fox. That's really good. Is it just like another cop show? A cop, firefighter, ambulance, that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, getting the whole of first that. responder all family of in exactly. there, all that action. All yeah. right. I still watch Grey's Anatomy. She makes you watch that. Yeah. Though. I watched it before. I'll admit it. Really? I did. Yeah. It's very it's very sensitive of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you sit there with like a giant glass of red wine and occasionally tear Just up a little bit? a bottle of it. There, well, yeah. there we go. That's one way to go. So yeah, I, I will have to watch the latest uh, Peaky Blinders and see what I think about that. So I'll give you my review of it, of course. By the way, the Joker looks like it's going to make nine, I think it's made $900 million globally. They think it'll be the biggest R-rated movie of all time, bigger even than Deadpool. Really? Yeah. Because I love Deadpool. I thought the first Deadpool was very funny. Yeah. Very you didn't well like done. the second one? Nah, not as much. It wasn't as good, but nah. I liked it. That, that, like the weird kid that's like, ah, I scream and everything gets destroyed. That wasn't sure. cool. That wasn't, yeah. that wasn't cool. But the first Deadpool was really good. See, yeah. we agree on some things. Uh, I'm glad. Those are two superhero movies, too. You I didn't say all superhero movies are bad. I just said the Avengers are bad all because right, they fine. are. Fine. Whatever. Audience agrees with me. No, they don't. They agree with me. Yeah. The fact that it's the highest grossing movie of all time, they don't agree with you. That's going to be the show for today, team. Talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.